Hey, hey, this is the Michigan Maniac Podcast, and I am your host, Adam Brewer. Uh, this is going to be kind of a short episode, maybe. Uh, only one subject, really, to talk about, because we're in COVID right now. We don't even know if we're really going to have a season. Hopefully, we will. It's kind of looking good, but we'll see. Um, anyways, uh, we'll be talking about who is really the key to the 2020 season for the defense. And I've got it. I've got the answer. So before we get into that, let's get into the, the housekeeping. Guys, if you will just go ahead and go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or the Michigan Maniac fan page and leave a review, I will then, then you guys hit me up on the DM, give me your full name, fake name, PO box, whatever you guys want to give me that you feel comfortable giving me. Um, I will send out a Maniacs logo sticker. I've got some new ones coming in soon, uh, so be ready for that. I also, um, I don't know. I You know what? I had some other stuff planned, but I don't know where this COVID thing's going, so I can't really, I don't want to announce it. I don't want, I don't want to do any of it until I know what's happening, so we'll just forget about that and we'll just go on to the show. Um, so let's get to it. Um, so I was listening to... A Michigan main. I was listening to a Michigan football podcast, and uh, Wired on Wolverines uh, host is Isaiah Hole. We should probably all listen to him. I actually like the guy. I think he has some interesting points. I think he sounds like a pretty cool kid in general. Um, but he was talking about in his latest episode where the defensive backs need to step up and get a little bit more coverage sacks for the defense to be better as a whole. And then he said, secondly, which I think is a very good point is that we need to have another Mo Hurst out there. Well, I only disagree with him in one way. I think he has it flipped. I'm, he needs to flip him, in my opinion. It's defensive tackle first. That allows the cornerbacks to do their job more efficiently, and I'll say why, okay? Um, as we all know, and if you've played football, if you love football, or if you've watched it and you have some type of uh, love for the game and you can break it down and really enjoy it, you know one thing. Every game is won and lost by the battle up front between the offense and defensive line. Doesn't matter how great your skilled players are, because without that, you can't win shit. Now, you may win a few, right? A few games. Because if you're just better, your offensive line can get away with some mistakes, or your defensive line can get away with some mistakes with playing lesser than. But when you really play on even territory, right? When you're playing the Ohio States, when you're playing the Penn States, the Wisconsin's, or even go to the NFL level, when you're playing in the Super Bowl, these things matter more than anything in the world is the battle for that line of scrimmage, okay? Now, for the offensive side, your, no one will know how great your skilled players are in big games. or Actually, it will make people think your skilled players aren't as skilled as they truly are if your offensive line sucks. Because your skilled players, like your, your quarterback, your running back, your wide receivers and tight ends, cannot do what they do great if your quarterback has no time to make the correct call, the correct play, the correct read, whatever. Or your running back can't be great. If your offensive line is constantly losing the battle on the run, run blocking side of things, or pass blocking, just right, you need a great offensive line, and therefore that allows your skilled players to shine. Now on defense, it's kind of the 
opposite in the way that your defensive line needs to subtract time that your skilled players, your cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers, have to do something at the top of their level, right? So if you, as a skilled player on, like, say, linebacker, you have to take on one of the faster tight ends, you don't need to be covering him for five seconds. Because if you do, he's more than likely going to win that battle. Uh, cornerback. Even great cornerbacks can't cover for more than five to seven seconds. It just isn't going to happen. Because more than likely, a true skilled quarterback, so when you were in the big game against Ohio State, no greater example is in the 2018 game when... Dwayne Haskins didn't get fucking touched. Didn't get touched once. And what did he do? He ate us alive. That Brandon Watson, very, see, this is a very good example. Brandon Watson was exposed. Did we think Brandon Watson was going to suck in that game? We had plenty of, we had plenty, plenty of evidence throughout the season to think that Brandon Watson could cover and could hold his own against anyone in the nation. And he was exposed because Dwayne Haskins didn't get touched. He could have had a manicure out there and still had enough time to pick our defensive backs apart. So it has nothing to do with the defensive backs. We lost. Uh, we have not had a strong defensive defensive tackle. And not, this isn't going against Carlo Kemp because I like the chubby face assassin. I really dig the kid. He's from Colorado, my home state. He's from Boulder, so he's kind of snooty. That's where all the rich a-holes a go. But he seems like a really good kid. I like listening to him. So I'm a fan. I'm not here to bash Carlo Kemp. But here are the differences. And I'm going to show you. In 2016 and 2017 was, were the years of Mohurst. And to me, Mohurst might have been the greatest defensive tackle that Michigan probably ever had. In my opinion. Now, I'm sure stats out there probably prove me wrong. But in my opinion, Mohurst was the best. I mean, you couldn't... He was unstoppable in the fact that he had athleticism. He had true... You couldn't block the guy. And he was smart. Um, and he was busting up plays. Because who's going to who's going to make the cornerbacks day a lot easier? Not the defensive ends. Because they have further ground to get to get to the quarterback. But you know who's going to fucking make things hard? The defensive tackle. The defensive tackle is right on the center, which is, what, 12 inches away from the quarterback? And if he can push the line of scrimmage back, or if he can plug holes, or if he can slip blocks and get in there and get a hand on the quarterback, get a hand in the face of the quarterback, just look at Chris Jones for the Kansas City Chiefs. Unbelievable. No one would have ever heard of him. But look what he contributed to in winning that Super Bowl. Look at Warren Sapp. I mean, just look at the great defensive tackles of the game, and you see why they're so great. It's because they create problems. You know why Mac Jones ate us up in that fucking bowl game last year? It's because we didn't have a defensive tackle get in his way, and he was able to sit in that pocket to the very last second and to deliver a strike to his wide receivers. You know how his wide receivers got open? Not because our cornerbacks aren't good enough. It's because they had five seconds or so to get into their route. That's the difference. Defensive tackles make a defense. 
just like your middle linebacker is the heartbeat most of the time of your defense, right? Well, actually, they're kind of the brain. I'll be honest. Middle linebacker is the brain because he calls out the, the coverages. He calls out the play. He calls out everything, and you rely on him, right? But the heartbeat, if you ask me, is the defensive tackle. Look no further than Mo Hurst. I mean, look in 2016. All right, we're going to pull out some stats here. Now, in 2016, we had the number one pass defense, okay? Very good because they were able to only have to guard for a certain amount of time. And let's also face it, when another great example here, before we get into these stats, is look at the Army game. This is another example Isaiah used. But here's the thing. When Army's in third and three, who's going to be the most important player going into that third and three on the defense? The cornerbacks against Army, a team that does not pass, or the defensive tackle that has to eat up the quarterback timing. So he has to either fake the handoff to the fullback, which will be directly the defensive tackle's responsibility, or keep it and run out and pitch it, then which becomes the def the defensive end or linebacker or cornerback, depending how your defense set up, to take the pitch man, right? And if you have a great defensive tackle, he not only eats up the hole, he then has a chance to either sack the quarterback with a running team that does that like Army, or he can break up the, the, break up the pitch or whatever. He disrupts. Defensive tackles are the disruptors of the defensive of the defense they're there to shorten things right that's why defensive tackles are big fucking guys who can take on big def uh, big offensive linemen and push them the hell back into quarterbacks that's why they were created or stuff up the run you can't have a good play action if your defensive tackles kicking the shit out of the center and tap or guard you can't because Run doesn't exist with a good defensive tackle. Just doesn't happen. So Chris Hinton needs to be the guy. Now let's get back to Mohurst. 2016 number one pass defense. Like I said, it wasn't because they were great, which they were. I was very. I loved Stribling. I loved Peppers. I loved the whole Jeremy. I loved all of them. Right? They did a great job shutting people down. Uh, Jordan Lewis loved everything. Loved them all. Right, just loved them, loved everything about it. But they didn't have to guard or cover very long because guys like Mo Hurst in 2016, let me check this out. 2016, he had 20 solo tackles, 13 assists, and 33 combined. But here's the here are the two numbers that are the biggest, right? Those are kind of average for a guy, and I think he only played maybe 10 games that season. But here are the two huge numbers. 11 and a half tackles for loss. That's half of his solo tackles were for a loss. 11 and a half solo, like 11 and a half tackles for loss and five sacks. Five sacks for your defensive tackle. I think uh, Uche had six or seven sacks this season and that was his only job was to rush the passer. So when your only job is to rush the passer, which I love Uche, and I'm not even trying to complain on Uche. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm just trying to show the importance of Mo Hurst and a defensive tackle and what he can do when he's doing his job at a high-end level, right? So five sacks. Uche had six or seven this season. Think about that. Going up the middle, disrupting things. 
right? And actually, you can go back to 2016 on uh, on the spot in that Ohio State game and say if Mo Hurst didn't overrun, didn't get so much penetration, because if you watch the play where JT was short, he blasts through that line and actually overplays because he was so dominant in that play. If he hadn't and he would have played it a little bit better, it wouldn't have even been close. That's the thing. A defensive tackle makes your linebackers better, make, relieves the stress of your skilled players. Plain and simple, just, just what it does. In 2017, now you thought Mohurst was good in 2016. Listen what he did in 2017. He had 27 total, uh, 27 so, solo tackles, 32 assists for 59 tackles, 13 tackles for loss. 13 tackles for loss, 5.5 sacks. And that's when we stunk. 2017, we completely wasted Mohurst's chance to actually do something. Because our offense was so bad. And why was our offense so bad? Why did we lose uh, Spate? Why did we lose Brandon Peters? And why was O'Corn exposed? Well, O'Corn was exposed because he stunk. But he was exposed because he didn't have time to do shit. Because our offensive line was putrid. It was awful. Stinky. That was the year before we had Ed Warner, the savior of our offensive line. And more than likely, if we beat Ohio State this year, and if our running game gets ta is taking off and our quarterbacks really excel, then we need to pay Ed Warner whatever he wants. We need to back up the Brinks truck and give him whatever gold bars he wants because his weight is going to be worth his weight in gold. That's what it is. Boom, plain and over, simple, boom. 2017, we had another number one pass defense only because Mo Hurst was in there breaking things up. Now, comparatively, I don't know how we did this in 2018. I really don't. I think we got blessed with some great cover guys, and that's why I don't think Isaiah is completely wrong on this. I just think he had the order wrong. Cornerbacks play a huge part, a huge part of what we do, right? Lavert Hill, Amory Thomas, Lavert Hill, and uh, David Long, fantastic, fantastic cornerbacks, and probably was the reason why we were second. But also, Michael Dwumfor, well, here, here are what we had in 2018. We had Carlo Kemp, Michael Dwumfor, and Brian Monet, right? Now, here are their numbers. 2018, Carlo Kemp, five solo, 12, oh no, wait, my bad, eight solo, 12 combined, or assists, for 20 total, four, four, four tackles for loss, and one sack. So you see where the numbers are on that? Where Mohurst, on his first year starting, or I, I don't even know if he really started in 2016, but he came in a lot. He was one of those rotational players that really really had a great a great effect a great contribution to the team but you're looking at for mo 11.5 tackles for loss and five sacks carlo kemp four and a half sorry about that my little plug fell out but uh carlo kemp four sacks four and a half sacks oh no wait my bad i'm looking at the wrong year four sacks and one Four tackles for loss in one sack. Sorry. Then Michael Dwumfor, 2018. 
eight tackles solo, 11 assists for 19 total tackles, three tackles for loss, and two sacks. Nowhere near the production Moe Hurst did. Even if you add up, both isn't even close to what Moe Hurst did. Then you go into Brian Monet. Three tackles solo, nine combined, or nine assists, 12 combined, for one and a half tackles for loss and a half a sack. So if you're adding these up, people, so four, three, and one and a half, that's eight and a half tackles for loss between three guys when Mo had 11 and a half himself. And you're looking at three, three and a half sacks between three guys when Mo had five. Then we go to 2019 when we were 10th, 10th in the nation in pass, in pass defense. Now listen, that only goes to show you that we have high quality corners when they're not getting, when you're not getting the production or the, the help that you need in the middle. To only be 10th in the nation really shows you the talent that we have at the defensive corner level or even safeties. I mean, in 2019, obviously, we had Thomas, we had uh, Vincent Gray. Granted, he ate shit in the middle of the season, but by the end of the season, he really looked great. He, Like I've said this numerous times, he's a more aggressive, he, a more aggressive Channing Stribling, and I love Channing Stribling. He was one of my favorites. The way that kid played with his long arms, the way he just... The way he covered, I loved watching Channing Stribling play. I did. But Vincent Gray is a little bit more aggressive. He hits harder. And I'm, I'm going to be a huge fan of Vincent Gray because I think this year he could have a breakout season. If if uh, Hawkins and Hill do their thing, which I think they're going to be amazing, and then you put Amory Thomas over there, I'm telling you, man. Vincent Gray is going to have a breakout season. It's going to be phenomenal. The best. So, and that's my opinion. Now, 2019, let's get into this. A much better year for Carlo. Much better year in 2019 overall. Um, 15 solo tackles. Pretty damn good. Then you have 25 assisted and 40 for the total. And then four and a half sacks. Very, uh, no, four and a half Tackles for loss, not great. And then two sacks, not great. See, Do you see where the comparison here is? Do you see where the real numbers are, where they're hidden, right? It's not in the solo tackles. It's not in the combined tackles. It's not in any of that, right? It's in tackles for loss because that directly affects the quarterback and what he sees and what he does and what the running back is doing. Sacks and, and, uh, sacks and tackles for loss. Right, Michael Dwanfor obviously was hurt, so we'll cut him a break, but not a great year. Two tackles, two solo tackles, seven assists for nine total, one and a half sacks. I mean, one and a half tackles for loss and half a sack. Right now, that's where where you really see the big differences. Eight, my my opinion is if we had uh, Solomon Aubrey Solomon and he hadn't transferred. You might have seen a much better 2019. I really do believe it because, he, in my opinion, he was Mohurst and Warren Sapp wrapped into one. He had the size. If you really looked at what he did. Now, I don't know. He could have a little bit of Albert Hainsworth in him with the work ethic. I don't know that part because he looked like he took some plays off. But an invested 
Aubrey Solomon. I don't think you get anything better. That kid was a fucking beast. So losing him hurt. And then not really having anybody to come up to fill the role. Now, I don't know if that's coaching because you've heard me say this numerous times where I've complained where you don't let, you have these talented kids and you don't let them play right away. You're only wasting that because by the time you think they're ready, they still need to be seasoned, right? You can have the top, top piece of meat but if you don't season it right away, what the fuck does it mean? It doesn't mean nothing. Season the steak. Put it on the grill and eat it soon. You don't got to do it right away. Let them figure that shit out on their own, man. That's why they're five-star. That's why they're four-star talents, right? Look at look at Cam McGrone. They would probably let him sit on the bench this season if Josh Ross didn't get hurt. Or he would have very limited play, and we would have never known about Cam McGrone this season. Yeah, he had some growing pains. Duh. It's college football at a high level. You're going to have growing pains. You're just going to. I don't know what else to tell you. But we'll live with that. I'll live with the Cam McGrone having growing pains if it looked like he did last season. Because you know what he's going to do this season? He's going to be unstoppable this season. So you're... Why should this be his, this season coming up, why should be that his first starting season? It shouldn't. I, I, I don't get it. Put him out there. Let him see what they can do. And if they fucking shit the bed, then take him out of the game. Fine. That's fine. Let the moment be too big for him. But at least let them learn what the moment feels like so this way they don't shit the bed again next season. You can't keep them from growing. You can't. You need to let them live. You need to let them. Here's the thing. I'll give you an example. So my son, we my one of the first houses I lived out here in Arizona had a pool. And it didn't have a fence, whatever. So I put him in swimming lessons. So this way I knew that I'm doing the right thing as a parent to get him ready, right? Getting him ready for the dangers of the pool. Now he was young. I don't know. He was five, six years old maybe at that point. I would say he's probably six to seven. He's in swimming lessons. He's trying to figure it out. He's doing a good job. Hell, he might even been younger than that. So long ago. Anyways, not the point. We have we had dogs that lived at the house. So my big fear was that Hunter was going to be outside playing, and one of the dogs would have like would have knocked him over into the pool, and he would drown because he didn't know how to handle himself. That's why I put him in swimming lessons. So one day, I didn't know if he could handle himself. So one day, I was like, okay, let's go out there. And I had a little ball. And I bounced it purposely to go past him. And it went into the pool. And I was like, Hunter, grab it real quick. And he turned to look for it. And I shoved him right in the pool. Now, listen, you may think that's harsh. But here's the thing. I shoved him in the pool because I was out there. And I knew if he couldn't handle it, I'd jump right in, grab him, and he's fine. He would have learned a lesson. I would have learned a lesson. But you know what would happen? I shoved him into the pool. You know what happened? He came back up. He swam right over to the edge of the, uh, to the side and got right out. I didn't know if he was going to be good at it. But you know what? I did it anyways because I wanted to see what happened. That's what Jim Harbaugh should do when we have these shitty games. You know we're going to win. You know we're going to win. There's no chance of us losing. So why, when we're playing mid Middle Tennessee State or whatever, Dick Face U, I don't care, whatever crappy team we're playing, let those guys that you have, the five-star guys or the guys that you really think can contribute something, put them in there. Let them play. Give them 30% of the game. Let's see what they can do. 
get their feet wet. So this way, if they really do, they start sinking to the bottom of the pool, and you're like, oh shit, they're not ready. Then you know they're not ready. But what if you push them in the pool and they come swimming back like my son did? They're like, hell, all right. I don't think he can swim the whole length of the pool, just like they don't think they can play the whole game. But at least I know that he's okay. He's not going to panic. The moment won't be too big for him in a spot duty. That's all I'm saying. Let's just do that. Okay, so that's the important thing here. Can Chris Hinton, which I think is phenomenal. If you looked at him in that Ohio State game and you look at him in that Alabama game, yes, we lost <laughs> in ugly fashion, but you've already heard my thoughts on those. And if you haven't and you're new to this, go listen to some of my past podcasts because they're very entertaining, very funny. You'll And plus, they're chock full of knowledge. <laughs> I think so, at least. And most of the maniacs will agree with me. But anyways, look what he was able to do. He's a big, big man. Five-star bread. Like straight up NFL blood flowing through that kid's body. You don't think he's getting notes from his father? You don't think he's getting, say, hey, this is how you do this, do this, do that. I played this position this way. And even if, I don't even know what his father played. It was probably offensive line, fullback or something. But regardless, the man has so much experience in football. You don't think he either knows somebody or has some type of experience to pass along to his child? I mean, look at John Runyon going to his John Runyon Jr. going to his father and his father giving him detailed notes. Granted, they played the same position, but still to have it in the blood. He's never going to be too small for the moment because he's been on football fields for probably from the time he was born. He's been on a football field. He's seen big games. He's been in NFL stadiums. All that stuff is no longer any impressive to him. It's just another day in his life. So I'm guaranteeing you, if Chris Hinton comes up this year and Carlo Kim's gotten bigger, and I love the chubby face assassin, I think he's going to have a fantastic year if Chris Hinton shows up. If Chris Hinton is the player we expect him to be, this team will not only have the number one pass defense, we may have the number one defense in the nation like we did in 2016. You want to know why? Because we have everything involved. The only thing that we were lacking in 2018 and 2019 was a dominant defensive tackle. A dominant defensive tackle. 2018, Aubrey Solomon was hurt for most of the year, and I'm sure there was something else going on because you didn't see him out on the field a lot. 2019, he was gone, and all we had was a chubby face assassin. And we had put in, like, Jordan Glasgow and Ben Mason. We were pulling at straws, people, to fill this hole. Granted, I think if you would just put Chris Hidden there immediately and just let him grow... He would be the most dominant defensive tackle we've seen in years because he would have learned how to swim that whole season. We weren't ever going to lose most of those games last year. So there was no reason not to have Chris Hinton in there over a, a disgruntled and hurt Michael Dwumfor. And we get to really see that the talent of a Michael Dwumfor is kind of questionable. Because only Rutgers took a flyer on him. He could only get Rutgers to accept him for his transfer. Hey, do I need to say anything else? I, I'm, I'm sure Michael Dwonfor is a great kid. And I'm not trying to piss on him as a person. And I'm sure his experience, he has legit reasons to feel the way he does. But 
we only care about, and Michigan should only care about, what he does on the field. Or the football team. Now, granted, get your education, be a great man. That's just stuff that you should want to be as a human. So, get that out of here. We're only going to talk about football. Put Chris Hinton in there. Put a Mozzie Smith in there. And if they fucking get exposed, guess what? Coach him up. That's why you make $7 million a year. That's why Don Brown makes whatever Don Brown makes, and I'm pretty sure it's pretty good. And you know what? You have Sean Nua, who I love. I think Sean Nua with his, first of all, NFL talent, uh, comes from a great family because I know I know one of his brothers personally, fantastic dude, and everything I've ever known about his family, quality family, right? He brings that just, electric like at just you just it's contagious when you be around the guy you can see it in his post you can see it when when um mcgregor uh yeah right i think that's the kid's name the the top notch kid that we just got you would see it when they commit how excited he gets how can you not be excited just to run through a brick wall when you have a defensive tackle or defensive line coach like sean nua like that's exciting i want to run through a wall i don't even know the guy so you put Sean New in there and have him work with Chris Hinton through the year, through that last season? This year, he would be maybe the defensive MVP. You don't think Cam McGrone isn't going to get better if, if Chris Hinton isn't dominating the middle? Of course he is. Of course, why do you think Derek Brooks was so good with, with Tampa Bay? It wasn't because, uh, obviously, Derek Brooks was amazing. But you have Warren Sapp in the middle? Sean... <laughs> What? Come on, man. That's what I'm saying. Let's get these kids, especially if they're five stars. If you could do it with Daxon Hill, why weren't we doing it with Chris Hinton? Why weren't we doing it with Chris Hinton is my, is my thing. And maybe I missed games where I didn't see him play. Because I'll be honest, I don't really focus on watching the defensive tackle game that much after Mo Hurst left. I just didn't. So maybe that's my fault. Maybe I should have paid attention more. But in 2019, Chris Hinton had one solo, one... One solo tackle, nine combined or assist tackles for 10, and a half half a tackle for a loss. So obviously he didn't pay, play that very much. He just didn't. Get him out there more. Don't let this be his first year in the fire. Let last year have been his first year in the fire. And I guarantee you by that Ohio State game, he would have been crushing dudes. Just straight crushing dudes. Because he's got the talent. He comes from a good bloodline. He's got everything you could want from a talented five-star kid at your defensive tackle. And I can guarantee you, maybe the chubby-faced assassin and little baby Hutch wouldn't have been trying to steal the shoes off of Ohio State players if we had a guy in the middle eating up the center and eating up fucking J, uh, J.K. Dobbins. Maybe. I don't know. Well, we don't know because Chris Hinton didn't get that job, to, didn't get that time to grow. We did. He didn't get that time to grow. And you don't think Cam McGrone last year would have made bigger leaps in his growth if he had Chris Hinton in the middle? Come on, man. The heartbeat of a defense is a defensive tackle. You can even say the defensive line. That's fine. I'm willing to go there. The defensive line is the heartbeat of a defense. And now I think we have a real chance to be the number one defense in the nation if Chris Hinton shows up. Hell, not even Chris Hinton. Let's just say if it's Mozzie Smith. Let's just say it, finally Donovan Jeter wakes up and he does what everybody thinks he's supposed to do. I don't care who it is. I'm just saying the one that's most more than likely to be that stud is going to be Chris Hinton. 
But at this point, I don't care who shows up. Really don't. But that's, in my opinion, that's where, that's the most important thing. The defensive tackle. We get that kid and he shows up and he really is dominant this year. Watch out. We're going to have the number one defense, number one pass defense. We're finally going to be getting home. And so that pressure, that 45% pressure, whatever NFL focus had, pressure rate is going to be way up higher than that. And then even the sack rate is going to be higher. If Chris Hinton or even Carlo Kemp get like double digit tackles for loss and five or more sacks, we're going to be unstoppable on defense. Unstoppable on defense. So with that being said, I'm just going to get out of here. I hope you enjoyed the new sound because I think it sounds great. I've checked it a few times. Uh, please, if it isn't and I did something wrong on this last episode, let me know so I then can correct it because this this is pretty good. I, I spent some good money on this on this equipment. So I'm very excited about it. I want, want you guys to enjoy it. And thank you guys for putting up with how bad the audio was. I get it. I, I appreciate the... You're, I appreciate it. I just really do. I appreciate you guys. Uh, you're the best fan base in the world. I mean, to be able to follow an independent guy who isn't tied in with a, like Sports Illustrated or Locked On or any of the other, or 24-7, any of these big companies that allow them to have their own studios or whatever they have. I don't even know if they have all that stuff, but they at least get paid by them. And I'm not doing that. But they have, you know, sources and they actually go to press conferences and they do all that shit. I'm just sitting at my kitchen table right now in Phoenix, Arizona. So for you guys to come in and be able to be supportive, even through this COVID time, the numbers are actually pretty impressive. Um, I thank you. Through bad audio, COVID-19, you guys really deserve all the credit for this. Thank you. Um, let me know what you think about the audio. I hope you enjoy this. And like I always say, guys... It is great to be a Michigan Wolverine. And always, always, and forever, go blue.